Software Engineering Radio Episode 23, Architecture Part 1. Okay, welcome to this new episode of Software Engineering Radio. Uh, this one is the first episode on software architecture and it's uh, s uh, something we tried for the first time. This is basically a Skype teleconference with three people. Um, so this is me, Markus. Then we have Alex. Hi. And Michael. Hello there. Okay, so um, yeah, software architecture. This is a very big topic and we'll need several episodes to cover it. Um, in this first episode, we'll talk about the fundamentals. Uh, this includes the role of the software architect and what software architecture is after all. To get the discussion started, let's come up with a definition of what software architecture is and then let's see whether we, the three of us, agree on that. So in the American Heritage Dictionary, I found a definition about what is architecture and it says, the art and science of designing and erecting buildings a style and method of designing construction and the orderly management of parts. So if we uh, transfer that to software architecture, we would say that software architecture basically is the art and science of designing and building software, a style and method of design and construction as well as the orderly management or arrangement of parts. Anybody disagrees? No, I, I think essentially uh, it, it covers the core of it. Uh, when I get asked uh, in, in my consulting activities to define what architecture is, then I uh, mostly refer to first responsibilities, functionalities that my uh, system has to uh, fulfill. Secondly, uh, to interactions, to dependencies uh, between those responsibilities. And thirdly, to interfaces between those responsibilities due to the dependencies, due to the interactions. And that is basically all I need for for doing architecture. And um, well, the the hard problem with with doing architecture is to fulfill all the forces, all basically the the non-functional uh, concerns, non-functional requirements um, that are implied on my system. And as an architect, I try to balance those. Right. So architecture is always a compromise. Um, Alex, I think you want to say something about uh, software architecture versus the other kinds of architecture uh, that yeah. are necessary when building systems. Exactly. One point, architect or software architect is a heavily used term right now. So almost everybody calls himself an architect. But w what we really discuss here is software architecture and software architects. And there are many other architects out there. There are IT architects, business architects, integration, enterprise architects. and Every architect uh, does another thing. He, he has another res responsibility, uh, and yeah, actually. Can you, uh, can you give one example of, of such another responsibility? Let's begin with an IT architect, for example. Um, the IT architect usually uh, is responsible for infrastructure, for hardware, for network topologies, and uh, therefore for the infrastructure st stuff. The, an enterprise architecture is the overall architect who 
keeps all the things um, working together, the, the software architecture, the IT architecture, business architecture, and so on. An enterprise software architect, on the other hand, is a software architect that does huge software systems, enterprise-ready software systems. So they, these architects have very, very different roles in an enterprise or in a company. Uh, and very often these get mixed up, so we have to uh, clearly discuss what a software architect is here in our podcasts, I guess. Right, so in this podcast we cover software architecture, we do not look at the other kinds of architectures, we might cover them in later episodes. Yeah. Um, before we go on, can I maybe uh, offer another definition of what architecture is, or what software architecture is, and that would be everything that I care about in a project that should be standardized or done in a similar fashion. Would you say that this is a sensible definition of architecture? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, that is uh, part of the the result, the role of an uh, architect, that uh, you have to ensure uh, consistency and uh, with the software architecture, at a high level, you ensure this uh, consistency. What I like about this kind of definition is, for me, architecture actually is a pretty fuzzy, a conceptual thing. I mean, we have code and um, architecture is within the code, but the, it's not something explicit. We don't have an explicit or divided architecture thing. It's, it's just a, it's like a, st a structural thing or whatever. So maybe this also uh, leads us to the di distinction between design and architecture. Exactly. So yeah. if I say that architecture is everything that I care about that should be standardized and, 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 and s consistent, then design is maybe everything on a granularity level below that. Right, exactly. That I totally agree with that. Design for me is one level below architecture. And wherever you start with your architecture, design is below it. So so architecture is for me as at the top level guiding the project guiding the system guiding the software under development with uh, um, rules with design guidelines with design principles to adhere to with architectural styles uh, and architectural patterns um, that guide that shape the the overall software system at the lower layer you would then have the, the design where you talk about individual classes, where you talk about objects, variables, and all those things. But is there actually some kind of border? Where, where does design end and architecture begin or other way around? Yeah, th that's maybe the trick of this definition I offered because if I say I don't care whether somebody implements something using the, the observer pattern or in another yeah. way, then it's design because it's it's on a level that's not critical for, for example, the non-functional requirements yeah. for my system. It's not important that it's done in a standardized way. If I want it to be done in a specific way to realize certain requirements, then I say it's architecture. Yeah, so it's kind of a self-fulfilling definition. And this contradicts a bit the granularity thing. I mean, it's it's more um, the importance you say is, okay, is right. the, the um, well the, the indicator if it's design or architecture. So you say in some cases you might have to make architectural decisions that are quite fine granular, quite low exactly. level. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, let's briefly touch upon some uh, process issues. Um, in the agile world, the term architect and architecture is somewhat 
disliked. People say agile projects don't need an architecture or don't need an architect. Um, any opinions mm. on that? Uh, I don't think they say an age or in an agile project you don't have an architecture. All the systems I've seen that are done with extreme programming, for example, have an architecture and mostly a very, very good architecture. So they have a structure, they have an architecture, they have important design decisions to stay with your definition. Um, what they not so often have is an explicit architect as a role. So I guess there is the, the huge difference between the traditional software development projects or pro, um, methods and agile projects. Yeah, I would put it that way that uh, in agile projects, uh, the, the architecture is not explicitly bland but much more created by having always a running system, starting with a small core, starting with the areas of highest risk, and then defining the architecture implicitly while developing the working system. And the, the architecture grows as you uh, complete your system. And uh, still, I, I believe it's, it's important to pick the right architectural patterns for, for this core, for the initial working system, to then be able to grow that system and not having to refactor uh, your whole solution uh, to match the later requirements when you, when you increase, when you grow your system. Exactly, that's a very important point there. The timing is different from traditional software projects or methods. They usually do all the architecture stuff in front of the project, front up, and HI uh, projects try to avoid design and architectural decisions as long as possible. They, they try to decide at the latest responsible moment in the project. So it, it feels different, but there still is architecture and architectural work, of course. So there is maybe a difference between the architecture as an artifact that you might want to create at the beginning of a project, which consists of paper, basically, and UML yep. diagrams or whatever, and then the architecture as something that you can extract from an existing system. So something that grows over time. And the Agile folks say, we don't want to do this upfront thing, but rather make sure the architecture evolves over time. Exactly. Uh, and this is one of the similarities between these different architect types we or type of architects we um, talked before. Uh, usually, if you have an architect, you have to distinguish between the actual architecture, the architecture of the software system, and fuse of the architecture. And it, maybe you, you do the fuse front up and do the design and the architecture front up and do UML diagrams or whatever. Um, but you also can do it later on the project or after the, even after the project as a post-mortem. So um, the fuse of the architecture, and there are many fuse, there are static fuse, dynamic fuse, whatever, are not the architecture itself. But if I want to come up with a consistent system, and, 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 and also if I say I don't want to pre-plan the architecture, rather I want to evolve it over time or over the course of the project, if I want to it to be consistent, how do I how do I make sure that in such an agile approach a consistent system evolves? Then, I think having having guidelines and having as few as possible uh, principles that are accepted by all developers involved um, can help with that. So, for example, um, 
only asynchronous communication is involved in, in the whole system and no synchronous communication because you need to be highly reactive and, and you're in embedded real-time environment. So if you just prohibit uh, the use of synchronous communication, that already saves you a lot of trouble and, and many design decisions can be derived from that principle. So, so um, you say that, that um, you also have a number of guiding principles even in those Agile projects, but you don't spend, I don't know, two months and, and write this big architecture document up front. Yes, that's the point. Okay. And another thing is you usually try to keep your code and therefore your architecture, but, but mostly your code, in a state where you can change it easily. And the easier it is to change the code or for example the dry the don't repeat yourself uh, thing if you have to just ch change little parts of the systems to do act actual architectural changes it's easier for you to change the architecture and to be honest even if the in the non hi projects i i were in um, we had to change some architectural stuff later yeah. on so um, architecture can't be really static. It shouldn't be, in my opinion, actually. So you, you should do everything to make it flexible and changeable and so on. So it's basically not possible to come up with an architecture up front. You might be able to start, you, you know, uh, start with a good, a good starting point by yeah. using architectural patterns or something, uh, which we'll talk about in later episodes. But, exactly, but yeah. it always has to evolve. Yeah. It's a bit different in, in uh, well, product lines or something like that, where you just can copy an architecture that already is proven in this area. Um, but in, in normal, non-complex uh, systems, you can't come up with an architecture front up that, that really hits the point and doesn't have to be changed on the way. So, Michael, do we need an architect? Yes, I, I agree. I Well... I think uh, the role of an architect is, is often overvalued and maybe misunderstood. So it, it almost seems like it's uh, the uh, the most honor of a developer yes. to become an architect. I want and to have this said on my business card. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and so I think uh, every developer is as valuable uh, as an architect. I, I d actually kind of dislike... Uh, this uh, this ownership uh, but still I think uh, somebody in the team must be responsible to ensure consistency to uh, facilitate communication to ensure reuse and to coach others uh, in a project and uh, if I would have to give this person a name it's it's of course uh, the architect yes there is always this discussion whether there should be one architect or whether there uh, should be a group of people who do the architecture and and that's maybe somewhat there's maybe an analogy that people say that I, there's the saying that says nice systems or well-designed systems are the product of a simple brilliant mind or something like that you mm -hmm. might have heard about this statement so do we need to have one architect to make sure that everything is consistent in a way that he thinks or 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 do we have a group of architects or how does this work or or can this be done in different ways in different projects I think uh, for for small teams, one person, one architect uh, is totally sufficient. But for big projects and, and projects distributed over several locations, which is the, the common case uh, in my company that I work for, um, you have typically a group of architects. And 
um, the, the important point here is to have only one lead architect. So um, it's kind of a hierarchical system that I suggest. So for example, for every subsystem have, a, have an architect or, well, not for every subsystem, but try to minimize the number of architects, but when distributing the architects, associate uh, with them um, individual subsystems and then have one lead architect that has the final saying when there's a dispute, when there's disagreement on design decisions. And also it might probably make sense to, in big systems, to have architects that uh, are experts in certain technologies. Like for example, if you use Corba, then you might want to have somebody who you might want to call Carba architect or middleware architect or something um, who deals with the technology specifics. Right. And also, uh, well, what I just said, uh, splitting uh, according to subsystems, splitting according to layers is also something that is very common. Right. Okay. To, to summarize what we uh, discussed so far, why does a system need a software architecture. So first of all, it resolves conflicting forces in a specific way. A software architecture, as we said before, is almost always a compromise. It also serves as a guideline for more detailed design decisions. So the design decisions that developers or teams make on their own have to be compatible or in line with the architecture. So that helps to create a consistent software system. As a consequence, the architecture also leads to a well-defined programming model. A uh, programming model is a term that we'll discuss later, I guess, and it basically means that uh, if you want to implement business logic based on a certain architectural style or on a certain architecture, then the programming model defines how you implement that business logic. The architecture can also serve as a basis for a software system family, uh, which is also something we discuss later in the context of uh, product line engineering. A software architecture also helps to define the basic building blocks metaphors for the system or even the vocabulary that can be used to uh, discuss about the system in the team. So before we go on, two additional observations, uh, observations. I think it's important that in a team the architecture is something that everybody feels responsible for. It doesn't make too much sense if you have this guru architect who you know, uh, always makes sure the documents are nice but nobody cares about that. And also, usually, an architecture, as we said, has to be built incrementally. It evolves over time. Um, over time, during a project, though, the number of changes and the severity of changes should become less frequent. Otherwise, your initial software architecture was probably wrong. And the experience of a software architect shows um, basically by or experienced software architects more often get it right or relatively right in the beginning. So that's basically a summary of what we discussed till now. Uh, we should probably now discuss uh, in a bit more detail the tasks that a software architect has to, has to execute, the things that he's responsible for in a software project. So we go from software architecture as uh, the thing we built to the tasks of architecting a system to the responsibility of uh, the software architect. So when I, as I just introduced, uh, when I talk about uh, software architects, I always uh, think about uh, bigger projects or projects 
that have a size of uh, at least 15 to 20 developers. And so here is already a problem that I see, uh, that is the scalability of the role. I mean, can a single person do the, all the design decision? Should a single person do all the design architecture decision? Or um, should much more the team collaborate and define the architecture commonly? And should uh, basically um, one person then ensure the consistency of it? So. Uh, this has also to do with scalability, uh, getting, uh, having teams uh, at, at a size of like 50 developers or even 100 developers working on a software project, uh, you need to, a way to scale the role of, of an architect. And so to achieve the scalability, um, I generally uh, define the priorities of an architect uh, like that. So first, he has to communicate uh, with the stakeholders. So this is product management, general management. Um, this is with the requirements folks, with the customers if necessary. And of course, between the teams, with the teams, with the developers. And uh, what he should share are the requirements, the design guidelines, the principles um, that the whole development team uh, should adhere to. Secondly, with the second priority, he should ensure the consistency of the overall architecture by reviewing the design made by the individual developers. So this is, for me, this is a key here because, well, when I'm in a team, I trust the developers that they do good design decisions, uh, having the basic principles at hand uh, and uh, doing regular reviews ensures that uh, all the design decisions go um, along and smooth and towards the same goal to yeah, achieve and, and the, the product success. Right, so so reviews is not a sign of mistrust. It's rather just a way to make sure that people have compatible decisions, right? Yes. Okay. And, and the third priority uh, is guiding the developers in doing good design. There might be uh, some team members that are not so experienced and, and coaching them, doing design commonly with them, being on the whiteboard and discussing things uh, is, is very valuable for them. Uh, and you also then get a good feeling for how the developers uh, think about the design, how the design decisions uh, um, got defined, uh, how they got worked out. And only at the with the least priority, you would contribute your own designed knowledge because your your the the main flow of your experience into the project should come through the the reviews and so with this i had already uh, good success in the past and was able to to lead even big projects uh, as a technical lead as an architect it's probably a mm. tough one for those guru architects who always want to show that they're the best technical geeks and the best experts on something if you say that they should contribute their knowledge only on priority four <laughs> yeah it's, it might be uh, kind of disappointing to them <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> i believe the, the 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 amount of developers the the amount of brain working there is is much larger this way than having mm -hmm. only one guru architect mm -hmm. mm. for me the best way to to scale architects in a project uh, were 
Um, yeah, actually, if you have more than one architect, uh, of course you should have this lead architect we already talked about, um, but then the, the single architect should concentrate on different architectural, uh, well, components or layers or whatever. So you, you should um, give an architect a responsibility for an architectural thing, whatever this thing means. Um, this is better for identification with the topic and uh, I made the best or got the best results with this kind of scaling there. So um, one thing where it's probably a good idea to have separate architects or people or technical leads is for certain technologies. I think we agree on that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in my opinion, you shouldn't have a, just a core architect that sh doesn't know anything about the rest of the application. Right, obviously. Um, so it, it, you should actually integrate the, the discussion or the, the people um, along architectural things, whatever this means as that, uh, components or whatever. Um, so yes, you need architects with different skill sets, but they, they shouldn't be really separated along these technical topics. I, I, yeah, I actually worked on projects where we just had this database architect and then this middleware mm. architect, and right. this was actually there, 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 also the organizational thing that he, the one just cared for the database and the other didn't know anything about the database and that was a huge communication problem and it never really fit together. So I'm not so sure if this is a good way to organize the architects, but of course you should have people with different special skill sets. Yeah, I, I also know a company, a consulting company in Germany um, that uh, splits the roles of architects along infrastructure architects and application architects. So the infrastructure architects would care about all the middleware communication, a database persistency, mm. um, etc. And uh, the application architects would then actually deal with the customer um, requirements with uh, implementing the application logic on top of that. And I always ask myself whether that is a good split, whether they, uh, for example, the, the infrastructure architects have the right uh, understanding of the problem um, to, to make the right design decisions, to whether they know yeah. all the forces imposed on, on the software system as, as a whole. That's exactly the point. If these both architects um, don't have to know or understand what the other does for that job and the, the architectural things are that f separated that it works, it can work. If, if the middleware architect actually doesn't have to know anything about the, the other things in the system and the, the business logic or whatever, Which it is could unlikely. work. But this, exactly, this is very, very unlikely and then it, I, have, I have had a lot of trouble with these kinds of uh, separation. So we so I think we agree that it's not a good idea to have the technical geeks like you know do their own thing and don't care about the rest um and that's probably true for most systems I think there is an exception and and that is something we'll discuss in further episodes and that is in the context of product lines or software system families mm -hmm. where you explicitly want to build and evolve a platform that can uh, basically carry uh, many different applications. There mm -hmm. you usually have a domain architect, uh, a person who takes care of the 
of the fundamentals of the product line and then you have for each project that you build on top of the product line you have application architects but actually even there i would s always try to get someone into to this uh, well however you call it infrastructural architectures things who knows the domain stuff yes so absolutely you do need domain architects but yeah. they are different from the specific application architects yeah and and here the difference is also domain architects doesn't mean infrastructure architects infrastructure right. uh, it's, it's yeah. not only technical the domain what the, the platform they use but it's a domain specific platform so it is not exactly. only about uh, communication and and databases it is also about, for example, the e-commerce domain, about the automotive domain. There are specifics, there are customer requirements that get down to the domain engineering, to the platform, um, and have an impact there. Okay, exactly. but we'll, we'll discuss this topic in, in subsequent episodes, right? Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I want to distinguish is uh, the roles of the architect versus the role of the technical project lead. Uh, is is this the same person or, or do you see any difference there? Yeah, sometimes it's explicitly defined like that, at least uh, in, in my environment. And uh, in other cases, uh, the lead architect of a project is then uh, de facto, basically the technical project lead, being asked for all the tough technical questions in, in a project. So, yeah. But this is also a scalability thing i mean if you have a project with 10 developers you don't in, at least in my opinion you don't need a technical project lead an architect or more than one architects and so uh, of course the thing is completely different if you have a project with 200 developers yeah, so i mean go ahead yeah okay um scaling an architect i mean I think it's obvious that a three-person project can't be done the same way as a 200-person project, and we'll probably discuss that in subsequent episodes. So, um, in, uh, is is the architect also has does he have to deal with politics and all that? You know, um, for sure stuff. For sure, I mean, um, an architect has, or one of the major points an architect has to do is uh, communicate with the developers, communicate with the project manager, and um, all, or the cus even the customer. If you have some uh, functional stuff you, you that affects the architecture, sometimes it's better to change the requirements a bit to get a much better architecture and therefore speed. And even the customer does want this change in requirements. So. Politics uh, communication is maybe at least as important as um, technical knowledge to me for an architect. For me, the technical project lead or, or software architect um, is the one who should be uh, most concerned about the technical soundness and uh, the proper technical goals. And he should uh, preferably stay out of politics and when he gets into politics, he should uh, vote for the system, uh, care for, for the technology, care for the, the sound architectural decisions, and, and try to minimize all, of course, personal interests. So, so you say that the technical architect, the architect should say, from a non-political point of view, this is the way we should go. And if you managers want to override this decision because you think there is some political stuff we have to do, then it's your decision, it's your responsibility. But I, as a technical person, I'll say, do it this way. 
I would prefer that way. I know that it's a, a tough way, but that is the, the, the way I went in the past. I had a lot of trouble with this uh, way, but at the end, uh, I had always uh, a, a clean mind at least. And right. And <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. I, I always do it. This, I try to do it the same way. And if, if, it, if I'm involved with too much politics, I'll, I'll leave the project. <laughs> Being a freelance consultant, I can do that. <laughs> Maybe not the best solution for the project, but... No, but it really depends. I mean, a frustrated Malkus on a project is also not <laughs> something you want to have. Might be yeah, I mean, yes, you're right. <laughs> leaving a project just makes a point. I mean, this yes. tells the project, don't uh, go on like that. But uh, you just mentioned the, the politics in, in well the, to the direction customer or management or whatever. Um, I don't think that is the only kind of politics you have to deal with as an architect because you also have developers and UI designers mm -hmm. and requirement engineers, whatever. You, you have to deal with a, maybe a huge team and every, every yeah, larger group of people um, has politics within. So I, I still think an architect should have the sense for politics and, and human interactions and communications. Yeah, but, but Is, is that is that the same? I mean, yeah, I agree that an architect should be able to work with people and coach people and communicate people and maybe also resolve, you know, if members of the team get on top of each other and, 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 and fight some some stuff out, that the architect should be able to resolve that. But, I mean, that's not what I would call politics. That depends on your definition of politics, of course. For me, True. it is politics I mean, too, but uh, okay. that's a definition thing. For I mean. me, that would be management of a team, um, and politics is really, you know, the stuff that you go to the customer and basically tell him crap so you get the money. I said that's a definition thing. I, yeah, I mean, of I, yes. I, I think we agree on this um, human interaction thing. We have to deal a lot with people as an architect, even more than with technology, in my opinion. And uh, you have to have the skills. I mean, that's one of the points why I think the best programmer might be a not-so-good architect because cool. it, you have to have more abilities than just architecture or technical stuff. It, it doesn't work if you have the best architecture in mind and can't communicate it to your team or get the team to implement, implement it. Too much, too, too, too big of an ego and therefore exactly. you know, always is right. Exactly. All these social uh, skills that set things are very, very important for architects in my opinion. Okay, uh, until now we've been talking about what the architect does once the project or the implementation has started. Um, is there stuff for the architect to do before the project really starts, like in the areas of requirements or estimating the amount of money it costs or assembling the team, maybe hiring people? So any things the architect should do in these phases? Yeah, in, in my belief and in my understanding, the architect should be involved as early as possible. And uh, the architect should question the requirements very much. So uh, when the architect doesn't understand uh, or doesn't uh, have the feeling that there are uh, sufficient requirements available, he won't be able to communicate the, the, the design or design goals um, or generally the requirements to the development team. Um, so in any case, uh, when, for example, a system Uh, gets developed and uh, the project starts with uh, no requirements, only weak requirements, I would actually expect the architect to do the requirements engineering, 
to talk to the customer, to talk to management, to all of the stakeholders and, and get the requirements uh, straight. I agree, although that's something that many architects, especially the more technical minds, don't really like to do. And that's also where I might want to throw in a small anecdote about uh, the role of the architect and politics. When I was working for a big uh, consulting company a while ago, we had to do an estimation for, for a project and we came up with, I don't know, 20 million or something. And so it was a rather big number. And, and then there was management and said, oh, you know, that's too expensive. We have to have oh, at most 12 million. So please reduce your estimations. <laughs> so, of course, we, we, we didn't. And then, of course, that was where politics came in. We, we offered the project with about 12 million and the customer accepted. And then, of course, we had roughly 8 million overrun. Isn't there a term for that? Uh, design to cost or something like that? Yes, yes. <laughs> but you didn't yeah. design to cost, actually. You no. just... Uh, we just uh, skipped. Yeah. Anyway, just, just an anecdote. Is the architect also responsible for building the team? What do you do as an architect if you see the team isn't appropriate or there are folks in the team who, who aren't up to the to the challenge? No, oh, don't ask those tough questions. <laughs> I know that I shouldn't, but, but I think this is, this is really a tough one yeah. because if you as the architect see that s one of the problems in a project is that you have some people who aren't up to the job what do you do? I mean, but the, that's highly dependent on the project and the organization you work so in. So, what's the alternatives? Well, uh, of, of course, you, you could just um, talk to the guy you have the problem with. Maybe you you can coach him, whatever. Um, otherwise, and most probably you you already did this at this point, so it didn't work. Uh, you can talk to the project manager uh, about the decision of staffing uh, if it's possible to exchange him whatever i mean uh, the the organization maybe even the project manager has not the right to exchange people there so should this be possible for an architect to exchange people if necessary no not in my opinion no i i agree with that he he shouldn't be shouldn't have the right uh, to do it so it should be the problem it should be the responsibility of the the project manager the project lead but i mean the architect is the one who who can best judge the the yep. technical abilities the technical fitting whether whether a person is in the right uh, position in a yeah. in a project and when he has a gut feeling that this doesn't uh, work you should talk to the project manager and and try to find a position within the project that this person this developer could fulfill best uh, his his or her job that leads to this this organization where you have two or three people who do the real work then you have another two or three people who help who help those people to do the real work and then you have this other set of people who do something so that they have something to do not not no it doesn't have I mean, to that's be that obviously way. it's a bit provoking yeah but what I'm and it saying. doesn't have to be that way i mean there are things um that are important and um just require a different skill set i mean talking right. to customers doing maintenance um doing ui design for example is a very important thing and i know a lot of developers great technical guys who have a lot of trouble with doing good ui design so um, you very at least in the, the larger projects or project teams, you really often have work to do that is important, and you just have to find the right person for it. So I wouldn't be so negative on this point. Okay, I mean, and I don't fire people all the time. It's just I wanted to provoke the discussion. No, of course, and sometimes <laughs> no, you have. 
sometimes it, you have to. I mean, it's it's uh, clear not everybody is okay for a software project and can do it. So sometimes you have to, of course. Yeah, I mean, especially in highly critical and projects with a very tough uh, timeline, um, you have very little time to argue uh, whether this person is right uh, in this position or not. And here it, it's a really problematic and ethical question how how to deal with that. Yeah. But still I think it's not the question an architect should answer. An architect should give an indication if somebody is right. not good in his job and maybe, or he should also give a hint where he could do a good job, but he shouldn't do all this decision stuff. I mean, an architect has to have some um, relationship with the developers and if he just throws out people out of the team, it's much harder to work in a team together. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you you need to have trust as an yeah. architect. The developers need to trust you. You need to be able to trust the developers to be a good team. Else, it doesn't work, and you're you're no longer an architect because the architect well defines itself by the team, by the developers. And when you're not accepted, you're just not the architect, even though you might call you the you might call yourself uh, being the architect. Okay, so I think this uh, basically concludes the first episode on software architecture in our series. Um, to give a small outlook, we'll probably discuss some architectural patterns in subsequent episodes. We'll look at uh, the quality attributes architectures should realize. We'll look at how to document architectures and also at how to scale the architectural process up to larger projects and bigger team sizes and then of course we'll have episodes on product lines and all that stuff but that's a separate topic it's not going to be under the name of software architecture anything else you want to say michael or alex um good luck with your next software design <laughs> yeah, that's a good one <laughs> that famous last words cynical. <laughs> <laughs> okay then uh, thanks and see you next week or in 10 days actually bye 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 <laughs> this was another episode of Software Engineering Radio. The Software Engineering Radio team wants to thank Henning Pauli for providing the music, as well as Lipson.com for hosting and bandwidth. For more information on the podcast, past episodes and feedback, go to se-radio.net. <laughs>